Welcome to worship. Would you stand with us if you're here at our West Chicago campus? Welcome to you who are joining us, connecting online. We are so glad you are with us, worshiping with us this morning. As we enter into the presence of the Lord, as we come to worship Jesus, let's remember that worship, before anything else, is an invitation from the Lord. It is a holy, sacred moment. It is an invitation from God himself to us that he has extended to us through, through Jesus Christ, that before we come, we are able to come to him because he has come to us. Remember, however you are this morning as we prepare to worship him, to bring your heart to him, remember the words of Jesus when he said, come all you weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, come to me, he said. Remember the words of Jesus when he said that whoever drinks of the water that he will give will never thirst again. How are you this morning? How's your heart? How's your life? How was your week? Come to Jesus. Be satisfied in him. And it is all possible because God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son to die for us on a cross so that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad in him. Worship Jesus together.
joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold Him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us
Isaiah 16:5. In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. John 3, 16-17 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 1 John 4, 16-19 God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Often when we think about the great love of Jesus, we turn rightfully so to the cross. But at Christmas, this love is first shown in his incarnation as God himself, through his son, stepped down to be within his creation, taking on frail flesh and human needs. Christ's loving humility did not start with his earthly ministry at age 30. It was manifested at the moment when in love and obedience to his father, he was born in human form, he emptied himself of his heavenly glory and royal rights when he left his eternal place with the Father to become one of us forever. It was this same love and humility that eventually drove him to the cross to die for our sins and bring about our great salvation. The Advent season should remind us of the great love of the Father who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. First as a helpless baby, and then as our sacrificial lamb, so that with him, God may graciously give us all things. We light the second Advent candle to remind us that God is love, and that as we wait in anticipation for Christmas, the hope, peace, and joy we have comes from the breathtaking assurance that we are forever standing upon and hidden in the everlasting love of Christ, and that nothing can ever separate us from it. You've come to bring peace, to be love, to be nearer to us. So you've come to bring life, to be light, to shine brighter than us. So
today that is the reality that we live in today father that you are the hope to the hopeless the light in the darkness the truth amidst the lies and we thank you today that you are living moving among us in this place today as we gather in your name Remind us of that today, Father. And leave a word in our hearts today that draws us closer to you. Let us choose that today, Father. Thank you. We do all of this in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Amen, we in Bible. You can be seated. 
Well, Merry Christmas, Wheaton Bible. Man, have we not been blessed with an incredible, incredible worship team? Jonathan, Sarah, Allie, and Adam. I almost had a spell right there. I mean, it's just, un, I mean, just unbelievable. Well, if you don't know, my name is Josh Laxon. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I also have the opportunity of pastoring our young adults. What I want to do uh, just for a few moments is give you an update on where your money uh, goes. Now, I know 2020 has been a rough season for us. But I want us to know that we are blessed to live in the United States of America. We do have religious freedom. We have the freedom to gather and to worship our King, the ultimate King of all of the universe. We get to celebrate Christmas that marks the time that he came to save us, to dwell with us. But I want us to realize that there are parts of the world they do not have that freedom nor that liberty. In fact, uh, Sudan for decades, for decades they were not able to gather together to celebrate Christmas. The government restricted them and if they did, they would be severely punished. But last year, there was this Christmas miracle where the government allowed believers to meet to celebrate Christmas. And one of our partners, Call of Hope, they were used by God to distribute over 40,000 Bibles to Sudanese. I mean, just think about that. It's amazing for the first time in decades. Yeah, give it up. And see, one of the things that I love to tell local churches is that when you give to uh, the local church, you actually give to God. And when you give to God, you give to his mission. Do you realize that God has chosen to use local churches as the vehicle by which he will accomplish his mission of redeeming a people for himself? So every single dime that you give it goes to the mission of God. And what we have done as Wheaton Bible, uh, we have allocated certain resources in various spheres of God's mission of creating a people for himself. And so some of that money that you give goes to partners like Call of Hope. And so this year, they will do once again what they did last year and distribute thousands and thousands of Bibles to Sudanese men, women, boys, and girls that need desperately the good news of Jesus. So a couple things. One, will you pray for God to use our brothers and sisters overseas to make an incredible eternal difference? Number two, thank you for those of you who give generously, who give sacrificially to make things like that happen. And then three, if you don't give, Listen, I'm not here to guilt you. That's the last thing that I would ever want to do because God does not want to guilt you into giving. God wants to save you into giving. Because the moment that you have repented of your sin and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, he saves all of you. And so what I pray is that you would be captivated by the love of God to give. So would you consider to give maybe for the first time? Will you join with me as we pray for our brothers and sisters 
in the Sudan. Father, we pray this morning for our brothers and sisters in Sudan as they gear up to distribute Bibles all throughout that country. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would move powerfully, that the Spirit of God would work through the reading of your word to draw lost sinners to yourself. Will you, will you protect them? Father, we pray for other partners throughout the, the globe as they minister, as they serve this Christmas season, will you work through them to draw men, women, boys, and girls uh, to you, to your saving love. And Father, I pray for Wheaton Bible, that in all the hustle and bustle and all of the stress and even in all of the changes of this COVID year, Will you attune our hearts to the King of glory? Will you attune our hearts to celebrate him? Or will we focus on the good, not the bad? Will we praise you not only in the good, but the bad? And may this be a glorious season. As we celebrate the King, the King of glory, the King of the cosmos, the King of the universe who came over 2,000 years as a human being, fully God, fully man, to redeem a people for himself. We praise you, God. We praise you, King. May we leave a different today than when we came as a result of the spirits moving in our midst. For it's in our King's name we pray. Good morning. It's so great to see you here today. My name is Hannah and I, wait a minute, it's December. My name is Hannah and I serve with our Student Life team. Our creative team is hard at work crafting memorable Christmas Eve services for you and your friends and family. Whether you're worshiping with us online or joining one of our four services on campus, you can get all the details and reserve your seat at weinbible.org slash Christmas. We know that many of you enjoy inviting friends and family, and so we set up a way you can send a customized postcard invite wherever you choose with a personalized note for your recipient. Whether your guest is joining online from across the country or is registering for a seat on campus, we're excited to welcome them to services at our campuses this year. You can send your card at wheatonbible.org slash Christmas. We'll see you there. As we approach our annual business meeting and the expected vote on our next senior pastor, we want to invite you to become a member here. Membership is required to vote on the next senior pastor's confirmation and approving our annual ministry financial plan. The next membership class is next week, December 13th through Zoom. You can register and get more information at wheatonbible.org slash growth track. This is the last opportunity to become a member before the annual meeting and we hope to see you there. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Well, uh, Hannah is going to have to teach me that clap trick because uh, that would be nice if you could just clap in the morning and your clothes like be changed just like that. That looks glorious. But uh, 
Well, once again, my name is Josh Laxton. For those of you who do not know, one of the teaching pastors also get to oversee our young adults. I also work full-time at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. And so I just do a lot of everything and I'm very, very grateful for it. Let me also extend a warm welcome to those of you who are joining us online via Facebook or YouTube. Hey, will, you, will we kind of go ahead and give it up for those who are jo- you know, joining us via online Facebook? It is really good for us to have you join us. Here's what I would ask that, that you would like and share this because we're going to be talking about the love of God. Now, before we kind of dive in to talk about the love of God, uh, I have a question. It's kind of a, a movie trivia question. Now, it's only one question. Now, before they put up the picture on the screen, uh, let me ask the question. But it's only one question, so it's either pass or fail, all right? So you're either going to walk out here a failure with the love of God or you're going to walk out here, you're flying with flying colors with the love of God here's the question here's a Christmas movie trivia question what was the name of the drawing that Kevin McAllister drew in Home Alone in the first Home Alone movie as his as as his construction of what he was going to do against Marv and Harry oh they've already put up the picture so there you go well they gave you the answer so you all walk out of here as winners so uh (laughs) <laughs> but, it, but it's the battle plan. Uh, now, now, Home Alone growing up is one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's not anymore, but it is one of uh, my kids' favorite Christmas movies, at least the young one now. Like, if you give him an option of what Christmas movie he uh, wants to watch, it's going to be Home Alone. I'm, I'm a little tired of Home Alone. I mean, it's crazy how old Home Alone is. But, it, but it's amazing now that as a 38-year-old dad that I'm like, I could, not for, I could not just imagine my nine-year-old Luke facing two robbers by himself just can't do it but but home alone did and so Kevin McAllister instead of calling his neighbor instead of dialing 911 which shouldn't be hard to do he says you know what I am going to tackle Marvin Harry by myself and so he creates this at least elaborate plan from a kid and he calls it the battle plan and it's a series of booby traps to hurt and injure Marv and Harry now I know what you're thinking Josh what does this have to do with the Christmas story of love well I'm really glad that you asked because I want to talk to you this morning about God's cosmic battle plan and it's not a battle plan that's been written by Hollywood no it's a battle plan that is written in the holy scriptures and it is fleshed out throughout human history and what God is battling against, he's not battling against the wet bandits, right? He's not battling against Marv and Harry. He is battling against Satan and sin. And this is, like I said, it's a real battle. It takes place every single day. It has taken place on planet Earth since the fall of mankind. And here's the main point that we will flesh out this morning. If you're ready, say you're ready. Here's the main point. God's battle plan against Satan and sin is to unleash his boundless love towards and on sinners. God's battle plan against Satan and sin is to unleash his boundless love towards and on sinners. 
Now, we'll be in Genesis 3. So you can go ahead and turn there. You can go ahead and click on whatever device you have. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Genesis 3, oh my gosh, like, wouldn't it have been easier, Josh, just to go to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave? Yeah, it, it would have. And, and it's a, definitely a passage that we are all familiar with. But what I, what I sense the Spirit telling me as, as I was preparing and really praying, God, what do, you, what, what do you want me to preach on? I really sense that the Spirit of God put it in my heart to go to Genesis 3 where we first see the love of God on display. Because what we will see this morning in the garden will help us make sense of the manger, which will help us make sense of the cross. So what we will see in the garden will help us make sense of the manger as well as the cross. Now, before I go any further, I want to share why this discussion on God's love is so important. Number one, love is one of the most important things that you need in life. I don't care what Tina Turner says. What's love got to do with it? It's only a secondhand emotion. No, it's not, Tina. Be quiet. <laughs> so. now, 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 John Lennon and the Beatles, they get a little bit, you know, they get it a little bit right. All we need is love. Well, no, John, you need a little bit, of, you need a little bit more, like, like air, you, you know, to, but, but, but I think they get close. All you need is love. So, so. Love is one of the most essential things that human beings need to flourish in life. Second, the reason why this discussion is so important is that I think people have a difficult time today believing that God loves them. And there's two particular reasons for this. One, I think people have a difficult time believing that God loves them because it's hard to love themselves. Because they don't love themselves, they cannot even fathom how a God could love them. And then I would say that they have a difficult time really understanding the complete portrait and nature of God. I mean, we read in 1 John that God is love, but there is this conception out there that people think God is just this angry, belligerent God, mad, who is on, who is on mission in a vengeful way to just terminate sinners. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And then I would say the reason why this discussion is so important is that we as human beings, especially as Americans, um, we need a more robust understanding of what true love is. Like I say, I love my wife, but I also say that I love Stan's Donuts. <laughs> and the two are just not the same thing. And so what we will see today is what true love looks like. So with that in mind, will you stand as we honor the reading of God's word, and we're going to read two verses, but we are going to unpack verses 8 through 24 in Genesis 3. Here we go, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, which is Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, hostility, conflict. That's the reason why I said God's battle plan. There's going to be this battle now between you, the serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. But notice now he's going to get a little bit specific, God is. And what does he say next? He, oh, so now we know this offspring, now we know this seed is going to be a he, singular, and he will do what? He will crush your 
head and you will strike his heel. Father, will you speak to us this morning? Spirit, go to work bringing conviction, also conforming us more into the image of Jesus. I pray for those who are far from you this morning. Lord, will you draw them, Spirit, will you draw them to your everlasting, boundless love this morning through the declaration of your word. And it's in your name we pray. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So four ways this morning to flesh out our main point, four ways God unleashes his boundless love towards and on sinners and thus defeats Satan and sin. Point number one, God seeks the rebels. God seeks the rebels. We see this in verse eight and nine. Verse eight says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now I want you to get this picture. Now you have to remember that God has created uh, uh, the world and it is perfect. It's blissful. It's harmonious. It's flourishing. You also have to understand that what was chaotic has now been brought to order through God's work. And God's prize creation is mankind, is Adam and Eve. They're the crescendo of God's song of creation. And they were created in his image to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. And God had created this beautiful plush garden. And he had put mankind there to live in the garden in perfect communion with him and perfect communion with themselves. But if you read the early part of Genesis 3, you see the serpent got into the garden. Now, Adam slacked on his priestly duties. Adam was supposed to guard and to keep the garden. He wasn't to let anything unclean into the garden, but yet the serpent makes his way to the forbidden tree and calls Eve over and they begin to have a conversation. And we know that Adam is there because after the conversation, Eve takes a bite of the fruit and turns around to give it to her boneheaded husband. And at that moment, they realize they were naked. Now don't make fun of the way I say naked. I'm from the South, as you can tell. Every time, I, every time I preach on Genesis 3, somebody has to come up and be like, you say naked, really funny. <laughs> and so I'm just from the South. But they realize, they realize they are naked. They realize something isn't right. Something is wrong with them. Now, can you imagine? You're Adam and Eve. You were in this perfect, you were in this perfect environment, but, but now things aren't as perfect as you think they are. Something has went terribly wrong. Now the way you see each other is now distorted. And your five o'clock kind of rendezvous, evening walk with God is coming up and you hear God walking. Now here's what I, here's what I would, would hope, and we would hope if we're parents, we would hope that our kids would just run to us when something's wrong. But, but something's going on in their psyche that man, man, God's mad at us. I mean, look, look at us. Look at how we feel. Look at how we look at each other. Something's not right. What's God going to do? And so as God walks in the garden, they run from him. But the whole imagery of God walking 
doesn't suggest that he is some tyrant come to obliterate sinners. No, this whole imagery that the Spirit wants us to understand in Genesis 3, 8, and 9 is of a gentle father pursuing his troubled children. And as God gets to where they are, he goes, what have you done? No, that's not what he does. See, that's what I want to do because that's actually what I do do as a father if I hear something going up upstairs and I hear loud noises and I start hearing cries I'm like Caleb what did you do like I mean and so I he, that's just how I respond not God where are you Adam Eve where are you? you? You see, God knew where they were. God is omnipotent, all-powerful, and he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knew where they were. But as a gentle, gracious, loving father, he calls to them in their hiding. You see, God is the great pursuer. He seeks rebels. He seeks sinners. I don't know if you've ever lost a child, but I, I have been lost. I was lost when I was 15 months old in a mall. Now I had to call my mom because I don't remember it because I was 15 months old. And so I called my mom because I've heard her tell the story many times. My mom's here with, with us this morning. She's up in the balcony so I won't look her way because she says every time she tells the story, she wants to cry. But we were at JCPenney's and uh, she wanted me to try on some shoes. Now I, I think that's probably where I developed my love for shoes. Now I won't tell you how many pairs of shoes I have, but I will say this, I've preached at Tri-Village and I've given them a picture of my, my shoe closet. But, but we were trying on shoes and my mom got me out of the stroller and she said, she tells me that she wanted me to walk and kind of see how they fit. And so I, I start walking and I start walking and I, I start going down the aisle. And then my mom's like, well, I guess he's, you know, I, I guess he just got a lot of energy today. So she starts following me. And then the next thing she knows is that I turn a corner in, in, in a section of the store. And so she gets a little bit faster. And when she turns the corner, she can't find me. So she doesn't freak out just yet because she's like, I just saw you. And so, you know, so I was looking under the clothes and I went into the dressing room just trying to figure out where you went. Well, some, some time has passed, like minutes have passed and she still hasn't found me. Uh, so whenever she passes an adult, she'll say, have you seen a little blonde little boy kind of running around here? And they would, one of them said, yeah, I saw him. He was running that way. And so she would, you know, kind of go that way, trying to figure out where I had been. Well, 10, 12 minutes have passed and she still cannot find me and so she starts freaking out she tells the she tells the security she tells uh, the, the the mall employees well they shut down the mall so that they can find this little runaway boy moments later they finally find me I am at an entrance with my shoes off and two quarters I'm ready to go to the video the video game so now why do I tell you that because if you've ever lost a child, there is this, there's this feeling of, of, of emotions in the pit of your stomach that makes you sick. And it makes you want to run and do whatever you have to do to find your missing child. Now, what motivates you to do that? Love. And that's what we see in Genesis 3, is that God 
pursues sinners and he is motivated by his love. And throughout scripture, you will see God as the pursuer. He pursues Abraham. He pursues his people in Egypt. He pursues Rahab. He pursues Nineveh. And what you begin to see is this, is this God who is on mission to pursue those far from him. And we get this magnification of God's pursuit in the person of Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene and in Luke 19 we read that Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, maybe some of you are sitting here today and you are reeling in isolation. This year has been tough because you haven't been really able to get out and have interaction and touch people like you have in the past. And so you are, you are struggling today, wondering if someone loves you. You're wondering if your parents love you. You're wondering if your siblings love you. You're wondering if your friends love you. You post things on Facebook and Instagram, but you don't get the likes that you want. And so you feel depressed and you feel discouraged and you wonder if anybody sees you. You wonder if anybody cares. And I want, to, I want you to hear me. God cares. God loves you. God's pursuing you. Because he loves you. Well, the second thing we see here in terms of God loving sinners is that God shares the good news in light of the bad news. God shares the good news in light of the bad news. Now, here's the thing. If there is a thing called good news, it would only stand to reason that there is bad news. Yeah. Now, have you ever had someone ask you, you want the good news or you want the bad news first? Which one? Well, for me, I, I kind of want the bad news, then give me the good news. Well, interestingly here, God gives uh, the good news, then he gives the bad news. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the bad news so that we can spend some time on the good news. Now, here's the bad news. Now, here's, I, I, I want to say this too before I read the bad news. Um, if you really love someone, you will tell them the bad news. If you really love them, you won't sweep, you know, well, it's just who he is. No, 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 tell him, tell her. Hey, listen, when you do that, man, it really irritates people. Listen, loving people tell others, the ones that they love, what's bad about them. Now, here's the bad news. To the woman, verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will make you, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. I, I caught this for the very first time. Undoubtedly, ladies, you were going to have pain one way or the other, but thanks be to Adam and Eve, you got severe pain. Just saying. I'll make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So there's this friction now between Eve and Adam. So once again, married people, we can thank Adam and Eve for all of our friction and turmoil in our marriage. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Because of you, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
So how do we make sense of the bad news? Well, I really wish I had all the time to uh, kind of dive so deep into what's going on here. But you have to understand when God created mankind, uh, he created them in his image and there's this ontological or this natural uh, understanding and then there's this functional. By nature, this is who we are, image bearers. So we are moral, intellectual, we're creative beings, we're personal beings, we are eternal beings. Well, that has been damaged and distorted in the fall uh, with sin. But then there's these functional elements. And, and I, like to, I like to kind of narrow it down to three, relate, create, operate. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. You, you're to relate and you're to, you're, you're to multiply and you're to fill. You, you're to subdue the ground. That means take the raw materials of the ground, fashioning, uh, fashioning culture and eventually civilization. And then to have dominion, meaning operate, you are to operate this earth under, under the lordship of God. Well, relate, create, and operate was damaged at the fall. Therefore, our relationships will be strained. There will be conflict and tension in our relationships. What we create with our hands, with our lives, will be damaged. And so especially when we, when we create culture and then ultimately civilization, think about it this, this way. Flawed human beings create flawed civilizations. And then we won't manage well because we won't look to God and his lordship to, 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 look, to, to look to him to give us what we need to do. We'll just do things on our own. And so everything about our image has been distorted and fragmented. That's the bad news. You ready for the good news? God's going to do something about it. And here's the good news. Verse 14 and 15, we read this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. So here's what God says to Satan. You're defeated and you're doomed. Then he goes on. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I've had people ask me throughout the years, why does God allow the serpent to exist? Isn't that a fair question? I mean, because if God can strike him down, and we also read in Revelation where he's going to ultimately destroy Satan and evil, why wait? Why do it now? Especially in the garden? Well, let me give you, let me give you two reasons, but you cannot miss this, though. Genesis 3.15, there's this battle. And who's the battle between? The serpent and humanity. What's the battle? What's the conflict over? Two things. One, God's glory. So God is going to allow Satan to go around tempting humanity not to worship God supremely. In, in other words, God is going to allow Satan to roam the earth to try and rob God of the glory due his name. So God's allowing that to happen because God does not want to force human beings to love him. That's not love. And so he's going to allow Satan to roam the earth to tempt us not to love God. But the second reason or the second thing that this battle is over is God's grace. Oh, now this is so good. I mean, this, I just want to start dancing about this, okay? Because when Satan, Satan was a fallen angel, he was this glorious angelic being, but he wanted to be just like God. And when that happened, God did what? He kicked him out of heaven. But God didn't pursue Satan. God didn't pursue Lucifer in great grace. He kicked him out and cursed him forever. 
And so what Satan thought is that, hey, listen, if I can get Adam and Eve, God's image bears, to do what I did, God would kick them out and they would be cursed forever and ever and ever. But God had different plans for Adam and Eve because instead of kicking them out and cursing them for all eternity, God pursued them with a boundless, relentless love and he's going to show grace. So what he's going to do is give Satan a front row seat into what it looks like for God to extend grace to sinners and see what you clap after this one all right and so what has happened is God has allowed Satan to roam the earth trying to rob us of experiencing God's grace that is the bad news but there is the good news that God wants to be gracious and how is he going to do that through the seed now As you can tell, I'm a little wound up about this. I want you to know four things about the seed, and I'm going to go through them really quick. But many scholars refer to Genesis 3.15 as the proto-evangelium, which means first gospel. That's the reason why I went here. This is the first time we see the good news that God's going to do something about Satan and sin. And so what is this seed going to do? Well, one, this seed's going to come from Adam and Eve. So the seed is going to be human. Next, we know that this seed will stand firm in the midst of temptation. This seed will do what Adam and Eve didn't, which was stand faithful. This seed will decisively defeat the serpent, crush his head. Even though the serpent nips and strikes at his heel. And then this seed will bring life and flourishing. It will reverse the curse. So with all of that, we know that the seed will be human, but it will also be superhuman because it will do what Adam and Eve couldn't. It will reverse the curse of sin. Well, and so after God issues that promise, humanity had to wait until the unveiling and fulfillment of God's promise. And throughout the Old Testament, we see hints about this seed. We know that this seed is going to come from Abraham. We know that this seed is going to come from David. But then there's radio silence for four, over 400 years between God and his people. And so his people thought, man, God must have forgotten about us. He must have forgotten about his promise. But God breaks his radio silence and he breaks it with a poor, young, teenage woman. And the angel tells Mary that you, you are going to give birth to a child. Well, Mary's like, how, how am I going to give birth to a child? I'm not, we're not even consummated the marriage yet, Joseph and I. There's just no way. Well, this child is from God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will give birth. And Luke, when he's writing his gospel in chapter 3, here's what Luke is very, very certain to do, is to connect Jesus to Adam. So here's what he says in verse 32, 34, and 38. Jesus was the son of David. Jesus was the son of Abraham. He was the son of Enos, who was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam, who was the son of God. So Luke wants you to know that Jesus, when he comes on the seed, he's of the seed of David, of Abraham, and of Adam and Eve. 
Now, what's so interesting about Luke, after he writes the genealogy in chapter 4, he's going to talk about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. So, for 40 days, Jesus goes without food and water, and Satan comes at the opportune time and begins to tempt him. Three times, Satan tempts Jesus in the barren wilderness, but every single time, Jesus defends the glory of God by quoting the word of God. Now, it is kind of interesting that Jesus stood faithful in the midst of a barren wilderness while Adam and Eve fell in a plush garden. But that won't be the only time Satan tries to tempt Jesus. He will do so through Peter. Jesus, he utters the words to his disciples that he must die, be buried, and then rise again. Well, Peter says, over my dead body, Jesus, that will never happen. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You're not speaking of the things of God, but of the things of man. But that won't be the only other time Satan tries to tempt Jesus to, to not glorify the Father. He does so in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before Jesus is arrested and then crucified, Jesus is in the garden. He's praying to the Father. And he says, Father, if, it, if, it, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But I love the next verse. Not my will, but yours be done. And the unfolding of the story, Jesus is arrested, he's tried, and he is crucified. There on the cross, he breathes his last, and he's dead. Now, could you imagine the serpent's like, I've done it. He's dead dead and they take Jesus's lifeless body they put it in a tomb they roll the stone and then now the the time clock is going is he going to do what he said he was going to do in three days and sure enough three days later our king the cosmic king of glory the cosmic king of the universe busted out of that grave as the conquering king of Satan and sin crushing the head of Satan Oh, Satan bit his heel. Oh, Jesus got the best of him by stomping his head. Well, let me just say this. We cannot have the good news of salvation without the bad news of sin. You know, when we live in a culture that doesn't want to hear bad news, do we? In fact, not only does our culture not want to hear bad news, they don't even want to believe in bad news. You see, a characteristic of our culture is that it's relativistic, meaning news is what you make it to be. You're only bad if you think you're bad. And so if you think you're bad, you just need to change your thoughts. Or if you think you're immoral, just change your morality. If you don't like who you are, if you don't like that you're a boy, become a girl. If you don't like that you're a girl, become a boy. If you don't like the way it's been set up for thousands of years in terms of a husband and wife, and you just want a husband and you want you know, two men and two women, listen, will you do you? But herein lies the problem. The kind of relativism in our culture is deceptive because it really isn't relativism. It's absolutism. Because these same people who want complete autonomy for people to do you, what are they doing? They are canceling those of us who would say that they are moral absolutes. 
So they'll look at the church and they'll look at Christians and they'll go anathema. There are no moral absolutes, which is a absolute statement. And see, what we're seeing in our culture is this flip of a script. And here's what they're saying. They're saying something like this. The bad news is people are going to tell you something is wrong with you. But the good news is, is nothing's wrong with you. Just be you. So don't listen to the Christians and don't listen to the church. Don't relig- you know, listen to people that want to tell you that something's wrong with you. But can I say this? This is a lie straight from the pit of hell. In fact, our own culture knows this. You know how I know this? It's because they barrage us every single day of advertisements, of social media posts that says, you need this sweater to feel satisfied. You need to drive this car to really be successful. You need to free yourself of this sexuality so that you can just be who you were created to be. And what is happening is that they're feeding these lies that if you just do this, believe this, behave this way, free yourself of this, then you will be fully satisfied. Yet we live in a culture of great depression and discouragement depression is at an all-time lie suicidal thoughts are at an all-time lie why because they have bought into the lie of our culture thinking that if they could just free themselves of what the bad news then they'll feel free well can i just say and let me be clear on this is that the bible says there is bad news we are sinners we are rebels we have committed treason against the cosmic king and as a result we are damaged we are distorted there is nothing good in us not even one sure there's hints of goodness but we aren't good we are sinners by our very nature everything that we touch it doesn't turn to gold it actually is tainted it's the bad news But the good news is, is that God loved us too much to leave us that way. He pursued us. And he says, even in your filth, even in your taintedness, even with your blemishes, I love you, I'm for you, and I've come to make you new. Meet my seed, my son, who I give for you. That's the good news. And that's what our culture needs. So real quick, let me give you three and four. The third way that God, God loves is that God sacrifices a life to cover nakedness. Now, verse 20, 21, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What's interesting is that Adam and Eve earlier had sewn fig leaves together to try to cover themselves. But here we are seeing that undoubtedly that wasn't sufficient. And obviously for them it really wasn't sufficient because they still hid from God. So what does God do? God actually makes for them garments of skin and clothes them. Scholars would say that God had killed an animal and taken the skin of the animal to clothe Adam and Eve. It's where we get atonement, a life for a life. You see, sin, the punishment of, of sin, of rebellion, of treason against a holy God is death. But God took a life and slayed the life in order to cover Adam and Eve. And what we see in that picture is that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. As, as Romans 5 would say, that God demonstrates his love That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want us to know, please, 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 God loves you. 
And then it's this sacrificial, this substitutionary, gracious, merciful act. And what we see throughout scripture in the Old Testament, God set up a tabernacle system, a temple system with sacrifices and, and the blood of these animals would cover the sin of the people. And it foreshadowed a moment when Jesus Christ would, you want to know why Jesus had to go to the cross is because we were damned. And what Jesus did is he took upon God's wrath, he spilt his blood and his blood now is wiped on the doorpost of our soul. And it's satisfactory, it's sufficient. You see, when God goes to work cleaning your shame and your nakedness and your sin and your guilt, and when he does it and you allow him, it's satisfactory, it's sufficient. Now, here in just a few moments, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper and we are going to remind ourselves of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed to cover our sin and our nakedness but before we do that I want to give you one more way the fourth way that God here in this text unleashes his boundless love are you ready for it this is amazing God sends them out as strangers and invites them back in as family now I'm not going to read the passage I'm just going to tell you about it God sends them out as strangers and invites them back in as family there in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned and God gives the good news, the bad news and covers them, guess what he's going to do? He's going to kick them out of the garden. Can I just say, as human beings, we were never meant to be kicked out of the garden. The garden was where the glory of God, the presence of God dwelt. God wanted us to dwell with him. That was how he brought heaven to earth there in the garden. It was the temple. And Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect communion with God there in the garden. And many scholars believe that as they worked the garden and as they cultivated, then they would have extended the boundaries of Eden to the point where God's presence and his glory filled the entire earth. But now, but now that can't happen because of sin. And so God, as an act of judgment and as an act of grace, he kicks them out of the garden. That's the act of judgment. The act of grace comes that he's going to set up an angel, a cherubim that will prevent them from coming back into the garden and eating from the tree of life because if they ate from the tree of life in their sinful condition, they would live forever in their sinful falling condition and God didn't want that. Act of judgment, kick them out. Act of grace, don't let them back in so that they would live forever in their sinful state. But here's, so this is the good news is that God kicks them in, but God's going to pursue humanity throughout our history. And in the person of Jesus, we see the culmination, the crescendo of God's pursuit of sinners. And it was on the cross. There's a thief right next to Jesus who said, Jesus, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? You remember what Jesus says to him? Today you will be with me in paradise now here's what's so interesting about that word don't miss this is that in the Greek Septuagint you're like what's the Greek Septuagint it is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament in the in the Greek Septuagint that word paradise is used 21 times to refer to the garden of Eden so guess what Jesus is telling the thief guess what Jesus is telling sinners today is that today if you receive me as your king if you receive me as your savior today you will be invited back into the garden today you will be invited back at home where you belong where you can be with God and God will be with you now here's what 
what's so interesting though, even more interesting, like I'm saying this is better than any story Disney could ever write. Not only does God invite you back into his presence, not only does God invite you back into a home as family, but guess who he invites you in as? His spouse. Both Old Testament and New Testament, God refers to his people as his bride. The most intimate relationship you could ever have, you are invited into that relationship to enjoy with the king of glory. That love, my friends, that love, sisters and brothers, that changes everything. You see, this love lights the darkest of nights. It fuels when you are on fumes. It brings joy in the midst of sorrow. It penetrates the hardest of hearts. It enlightens when you're confused. It brings peace to the restless. It stabilizes in the storm it orders when it's chaotic it overcomes when defeated it conquers fears it conquers shame it conquers guilt it conquers sin and it conquers death it is patient it is kind it doesn't boast it is not proud this love my friends it never fails Jesus we want to live in that love we want to live in that love And can we just say, Jesus King, we are absolutely, positively overwhelmed by your great love. And the fact that we see that love early on, we see that love after Adam and Eve sinned and you've been pursuing in that love ever since. We know that the glory of God ignited his mission, but it's the love of God that fuels it. So we thank you, King. We worship you. Church, we're going to, like I said, turn our attention to observing communion. Now, the two things about communion, uh, one, it's a present observance that reminds us of a past reality. But not only does it remind us of a past reality, it reminds us of a future reality. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. See, we're reminded what Jesus did for us, how his body was broken and his blood was shed in order for ours to be healed, for our life to be covered. But it also points us futuristically to a time when his bride, his people, will gather in heaven where the presence of God is and will have a marriage supper, a marriage celebration. And so before we take this, I'm going to pause for just a few moments. And this is a somber time. It's a serious time. We should not take the Lord's Supper in vain. So if you do not know Jesus, if you've never received his love, if you've never confessed the bad news that you're a sinner, if you've never received him as Savior, as King, I'd ask you to refrain. But if you have, take just a few moments and make sure that you're clean, that you just confess that you're just a renewing the covenant covenant of being faithful to Jesus. So let's take a few moments right now. In Matthew 26, we see the picture of the disciples there with Jesus having what scholars refer to as the Last Supper. And we read in verse 26, while they were eating, 
Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Just so that you know, these little cups, you just, it's two films. One is a very thin film with the cracker. And so let me read that again, and we can take the bread. Take and eat, this is my body. And then tear the last, the second film. And the Bible continues to read. Then he, Jesus, took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And just listen to verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom, foreshadowing the marriage supper. This is his blood. And Jesus, for your body that was broken and the blood, your blood that was shed, we are eternally grateful. And I pray that we, as your followers, as your bride, would live in your love and would demonstrate it to others. church let's stand together as we respond to the word of God as we respond to what we just did we want to teach you a new song this is an original song that our worship team wrote and the purpose of this song is to reflect on the love of God and what it means when we come to his table what happens when his love changes us and so keeping in mind what we just did together what we just did through communion Let's respond to the Lord in gratitude for his love, his great love for us. We come to the table Invited by the one who is faithful, who gave his life for us and we are broken, but through the body and the blood we're made beautiful. Sin is forgiven. And grace is washing over us. Something happens when we approach the throne of God. Lives are changing as we remember what he's done. So I sing, how wonderful. Because of Jesus. 
come to church we are the church and we just had church yeah Wheaton Bible you are loved by the king you are loved by your staff we pray that you would be sent out to love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and to love others may God's grace be upon us May it shine on us. May he be gracious. You are sent out in the love of God to be salt and light. You are sent.